0: In October, a couple of weeks before the election, and in the middle of the pandemic, I went to Disney World Magic Kingdom for the first time.
1: Wow, can I just say, you walk in, once you're like in, you're like, ah. There's suddenly like a rush of calm, you're like, oh shit, there's, look, there's the castle, and here you are.
0: And it's just, it really is just transportive into this like fake magical land, (laughs) So there I was on Main Street, USA. The iconic strip of -of turn-of-the-century buildings that lead directly down the road to an even more iconic Cinderella's Castle. Walking into Disney World kind of feels like if Bourbon Street was constructed by Pleasantville. But you walk in and you are unmistakably here. I take it in. All the magic, all the wonder. The symphonic music that plays on a loop. The huge photogenic castle. The warm summer air of the Florida fall. The smell of sweet and salty carnival food, the laughter of children, the applause of the nearby couple who just got engaged. The people look so happy. It all seems so lovely. But also, it's a little strange right now. For the health and safety of everyone, face coverings must fully cover your nose and mouth and be worn at all times, except when actively eating or drinking while stationary guests that do not comply will be asked to leave. Thank you for your cooperation. Today on the show, I want to know why are people coming to the most magical place on Earth in what feels like is the weirdest time on Earth? Greetings from somewhere. I'm Zach Mack, and this is Disney World Magic Kingdom. All right, here we are in front of a big-ass castle and ready to enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy.
1: I think, I think it's uh, Frontierland first, right? I think we got to go, or
0: Adventureland? Shit. I take a look at my map to see the way the parks divvied up, and I'm really not sure where to go first.
2: If you're looking at like an aerial map of Walt Disney World, you're looking at a map of the American imagination.
0: Bethany Bemis is a museum specialist at the Smithsonian Institute, and her current research focuses on, quote, Disney theme parks as locations for collective memory of the national narrative. And just listen to her break down the map of Magic Kingdom.
2: Each of the lands sort of represents one of the American traits that we always like to say that we have. So you walk down Main Street and it's all about free enterprise. A lot of shops, but also the turn of the century, sort of the train arriving in town and bringing business. Let's take a left into Adventureland. And you're really looking at Manifest Destiny and this sense of exploration, right? So it's sending off Lewis and Clark to uncharted lands to find new places where we can do American business, (laughs) however you want to say that. And then you walk into Frontierland, which is of course that rugged individualism, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of story. Uh, At Disney World, you have Liberty Square. That one's pretty obvious, right? The Spirit of Independence. If you go into Fantasyland, those are all sort of stories from our European heritage. They're all sort of European fairy tales that speak to both our past as immigrants into this nation and also American optimism. And then if you finish in Tomorrowland, what you have is again optimism, but also that sense of new frontiers. Right. So once we've conquered the, the Western frontier, we went into space and created this new frontier for us to, to go explore. So in a nutshell, you can experience almost all of this sort of Americanness within one day walking a circle around Walt Disney World.
0: OK, let that sink in for a second. So that's what Disney's bringing to the party. But what about me? Like many of us, I grew up on Disney movies, and I'm still pretty into a lot of their stuff, mainly Pixar, Marvel, uh, Star Wars, although I do have a bone to pick with J.J. Abrams. You are a Palpatine. Anyways, Peter Pan, The Jungle Book, Aladdin, these stories meant a lot to me as a kid and still do. So the nostalgia here is palpable. But I'm primarily here to understand why other people are here right now.
1: Oh, we needed something normal in our lives. This is our favorite place to come. Just
0: to get a little
1: bit of the, the magic. Honestly, I'm a huge kid at heart. It makes me feel like a kid. Oh, we become kids when we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so when we come here... I just get to be a kid and have fun. Nostalgia is the main thing for me. It's kind of a ritual for us now.
3: I want to have some normalcy
1: in the year, and just this is something we really enjoy. The annual pilgrimage for us. I love that they're doing the mask thing. Everyone is required to wear a mask. It makes me feel so much safer than, say, like if I was at Walmart. I feel safer here.
4: And surprisingly, I'm
1: still excited. Everyone is being safe. We're all social distancing. It's just, it feels great to be back. Because uh, there isn't all the pop-up entertainment that you would normally get uh, in the park, it does seem a little less magical. It's the happiest place on earth who doesn't
3: want to be happy. That's another thing was the familiarity, you know, the customer service, the, just how Disney makes you feel. And it's like a safe place.
0: Safety and escape. Nostalgia. A place to be a kid again. For kids and some adults, Disney is their blankie. You go there and you feel safe. Everything is fun. Everyone is smiling. There's no trash on the ground. The entire time you're there, you just know that everything is going to be okay. And it's been a messed up year. So that need to escape and feel safe is pretty easy to understand. I mean, even the NBA turned to Disney to help safely get through the end of their season. Because let's get real. Nobody manages people through space better than Disney theme parks. They have it down to a science.
3: In terms of the parks being open, they have done a really good job. They really have.
0: This is Carly Wiesel. She's a theme park journalist. And yes, that is an actual job. Carly primarily reports on Disney theme parks and has been following things every step of the way.
3: The numbers don't show that there's been a massive outbreak there, which is fantastic and I think proves how good of a job they've been doing with enforcing masks and social distancing. It's everything from social distancing markers throughout every single queue. There are hand sanitizing stations all throughout the park. There are also dividers on some ride vehicles. There's also plexiglass in the queues to separate anyone who you might be standing across from and things like that. So throughout the park, they have thought through something for every space to keep safety atop of mind.
0: Yeah. Uh, so many of my friends and people who know I'm going have expressed extreme concern about, about me going like, you're going to go to Florida. You're going to go to Disney World. There's a pandemic. What are you doing? And the funny thing is, I'm, I'm like, well, if I can get through the airport, OK, there's probably no place in the country that is more controlled per square inch than Disney World. Exactly. I'll say this, walking around inside the parks felt pretty safe. The lines are distanced, mask wearing is strictly enforced, and people are regularly getting called out for having it under their nose or for trying to eat or drink on the move. Face coverings must fully cover your nose and mouth. You'll have entire train cars of rides to yourself. Of course, it's the getting to Disney World that can be a little dicey or irresponsible. For starters, you got to go to Florida, a state that has not handled the pandemic very well. Not to mention Disney World isn't cheap, the economy is in peril, and life in general feels very unpredictable right now. And when you're there, you got to buy tickets, food, merch, hotels unless you're local. It all adds up pretty quickly, plus you have to navigate one of the worst design websites I've ever seen. And some of the people I spoke with said their experience within the park had dipped as well, that some of the magic was gone. I imagine this probably has something to do with Disney laying off around 30,000 of its workers, a little more than half of which are from its Florida properties, which are currently operating at about 35% capacity. But despite all these obstacles and setbacks, people are still going to Disney World.
1: Why do you think people are still going to Disney
0: World?
3: anything to escape. And I've always prefaced this with that. I do not have kids. I've been trapped in a house with myself and my husband and my dog, but not with children. And if I was in a house with children after three weeks, I would be like, we are going anywhere. So there's, there's that just like the need for something to do. And this is a safer option. I know a lot of people have been going on road trips and things like that, but if you're going to go to a tourist destination, the things they've been putting in place at a lot of these parks are really good. I think it's just that they have everything in place and it's Disney.
0: When we come back, I descend deeper into the park and try to understand the psychology of this world and Disney fandom. Oh boy!
1: I've recently become hip to the term Disney bounders, which is when people go to Disney theme parks and they dress up like famous Disney characters but with regular clothes. So it's like it's like a subtle nod using regular clothing to dress up like a character. And so I just saw a great example of a Disney bounder, this woman she had on green scaly yoga pants and then like a light powdery purple t-shirt and then her hair was dyed red. So she looks just like Ariel from The Little Mermaid but she could pass in in day-to-day society without clearly having dressed up, you know? So it's his birthday and his whole family is celebrating his birthday at Disney World. This guy's probably in his 50s. Uh, They're at Disney World, Magic Kingdom, a group of adults, six adults, and they're all wearing like fun family t-shirts to celebrate their dad's birthday, which is touching, but also strange, but but touching. But also strange, (laughs) but touching. Okay, this couple just walked by me. I saw the guy, he's wearing a, a gray shirt that just says broke in black block letters across his chest. It just reads the word broke. And then where the O is supposed to be, it's like the silhouette of like the Mickey, you know? So it's like the circle with the two ears. And then I was like, oh, weird. Is, is that like a commentary on like Disney World and them having to lay off workers and COVID and like, wow, like you're really taking a dig at, at Disney while you're in their park that's kind of bold. And then, of course, I looked next to him, to his girlfriend or wife, and um, she's wearing the exact same gray shirt. And in black block letters across her chest, it says spoiled. And the O on spoiled is the Mickey silhouette. So spoiled
0: and broke because he spoils her.
3: Yeah, I don't love the psychology behind it. I'll tell you that.
0: So I ran everything I saw in the park by Carly because aside from being a theme park journalist, she's a huge Disney fan. And more than anyone I know truly understands this subculture.
3: Yeah, that is a completely average experience (laughs) to see a lot of that. uh, So it's like the most expensive day ever trope.
0: Yo, so that was the other thing. I saw a family of 10 all with the same T-shirt that said most expensive day ever. And then it had like some customization on the back, but also had most expensive day ever with the the D-A-Y in Disney letters. And I was like, this is what, this is insane. What's happening?
3: Yeah. That's just a regular old thing that people come every day with what they think is a very clever T-shirt that jokes about how much money they're spending. Uh, it's, it's definitely, there's a lot of different circles of Disney fandom and the ones that I dip into mostly like make fun of that by like, you would make your Twitter name. If it was me, it would be like Carly most expensive day ever. Like you just make fun of it all the time. But it is something that people every single day show up to the theme park resort wearing matching t-shirts that they paid more money for, by the way. That say how expensive their vacation is. I think the I think some of them are cute. I think it's cute when couples do. I mean, I wouldn't do it myself because my husband would rather roll over and die into a ditch. But they when they do ones, they're like, "I'm the beast" and like, "I'm the bill." Like those are cute. I think that's cute. Like they love each other. They found something that makes them happy. Great. But the ones that like patronize themselves for being there are not my vibe.
0: I think when I was there, it was really easy to understand why kids love being there and why Disney World is like like a good family activity. That part was not hard to understand at all. I start to struggle when I think about all the adults I was interacting with who were not there with children, not there with the larger family, but just there as adults experiencing it. The thing that kind of came up a lot when I was talking to people is like, and you would probably know this better than I, it seems like this is a place that people like go over and over and over. Everyone I talked to, all the adults I spoke to, it was no one's first time. You know, it was like their hundredth time or they have season passes or they're there quite often. And I started to kind of get a sense like, oh, this might just be your vacation spot. Like this is, this might be where you go. And I'm thinking about all the places that you're not going then, you know, all the trips to Europe or South America or Africa or wherever, like all the places you're not going because you're, you're returning to the same like constructed fantasy land. And that was, I didn't know how to feel about that, you know? And I was like, huh? Huh?
3: Okay, so I'm going to unpack this <laughs> from from start to finish and try to hit all of the points you mentioned. So, first of all, I think that and not to call them more evolved than non-Disney people, but I think that people who are Disney fans, specifically Disney theme park fans, have really untapped something that most people lose in adulthood. I think that just the if you're someone who goes to a Disney park regularly, You are in touch with what you care about, what you enjoy, and what makes you happy more than the average person, at at least according to me. That's what I believe. And there is so much joy for people who generally go to these parks for vacation and on their free time, even if they go every single year and to an outsider, it looks like the same place. To us, there's always something new to discover, something new to enjoy. And even if there isn't, even if you're just doing the same stuff you did before, it brings you so much joy to to be on that coaster, to to do something that you did possibly as a child, possibly with your children, possibly with your children's children. It's just generation spanning and can bring joy to those throughout every stage of their life. But... Disney is really a a second home for a lot of people. When you check in, they say, welcome home, because that's, like, for the guest, for the staff, like, that's what it is. It's someone else's second home. So it's really, it has an emotional tie for the entire existence of someone on planet Earth, typically. From the outside, it often seems weird, but for those who do it regularly, it's one of the best things you can do as an adult, I think, because it's, there's really no way to publicly show joy as an adult, unless you're rooting for someone else. You're rooting for a sports team. You're cheering something on. If you just want to enjoy something yourself and have fun and be wowed, there's really not many other places you can do that externally.
1: All right, quick, quick, quick check in. Um, Carly told me to go on Peter Pan. She said it's one of the best rides in the park. Uh, I just went on Peter Pan, and pretty thoroughly unimpressed. It just felt old and cheap and worn. Uh, yeah, just not not very impressed by Peter Pan at all.
0: The more time I spent in the park, the more I felt I could see the seams. I'm a producer by trade, so that makes me a bit of a production snob. So on rides like Peter Pan and It's a Small World and even Buzz Lightyear, I just felt like these rides were not holding up without my imagination or tying back to a childhood memory, which I didn't have because this was my first time in the park. Personally, I struggle with feeling like I could ever prioritize returning to Disney World over something like going to Japan or France for the first time. But Carly, and this is one of the things I absolutely love about her, sees things very differently.
3: You know, walking around a World Showcase at Epcot instead of flying, you know, from Italy to France and beyond is much simpler. But I also think that a lot of times when you visit cities like that, you are passively experiencing things. And when you're on a ride or you're, you know, walking from country to country in Epcon and then going on a ride and then going to another magical place for dinner. You're really a participant in the story. That's the way these places are built. And I think by doing that, it's a very subtle, nuanced thing. And from the outside, it often looks like, how could these people spend money on going to Florida when they can go anywhere in the world, when really some aspects of Disney are more transportative than going anywhere in the world?
0: I do really appreciate your passion and it's, no, it's great. I think you're really like giving voice to this community.
3: Thank you. I I try from the outside. It just looks like everyone is out of their minds. And then once you step into it, it truly feels like everyone who isn't a Disney person is missing something. It's just the absolute perspective shift. Once you're inside, it feels like we all know a secret that regular people don't.
1: How much is that hat? Uh, 27
4: dollars A lot of people
1: buying Baby Yoda stuff right now? Oh yeah, they're very, very popular. Thank you. you. Alright, probably the best part of my day, I just walked into uh, one of the gift shops and they had all this Baby Yoda merch uh, <laughs> from, from the Star Wars show Mandalorian. And I copped a Baby Yoda dad hat for myself. It's just a black hat with a small little image of Baby Yoda on it. And um, I I decided to swap that with the hat that I'm wearing right now. But yeah, it's funny, like, sometimes buying stuff just makes you feel a little better.
2: Disney sells memories, right?
0: Again, this is Bethany from the Smithsonian Institution.
2: They sell memories of uh, an America that was or that could be, and they sell memories of, you know, your family. And every time you visit, like you said, you're, you're touching base. To that memory. When Disneyland is first created, right, which you can't talk about Disney World without talking about Disneyland, given that they're sort of mirror images of each other, it really represented this sense of safety. It's 1955, it's the Cold War, and Americans are scared. Going to a place where you feel enveloped in your identity as an American, but also you can see points in history where, you know, we, we struggled on the frontier and we came victorious. We struggled for independence and we came victorious. We are working on going to the moon. We believe we'll be victorious. It gives you a sense of safety. You went to Disney during this, this sort of COVID time. And I think we're seeing that people wanting to go to a place where they feel not only safe physically, but safe emotionally as a country.
1: All right, t-shirt check-in, five or six 20-something-year-olds just walked past me, uh, all wearing the same shirt. It was a maroon shirt with white Disney type. It just read, I'm done adulting, I'm going to Disney World. (laughs) Just fucking opt out. Which is the perfect shirt to see right before going to, The Peter Pan ride because, you know, never grow up.
2: It's like a pilgrimage where you go to let go of the things that have crept into your adult life and touch back into that part of you that is optimistic and innocent and can eat candy all day, you know, and not get sick or whatever it is that that sort of you remember growing up that gave you such comfort.
1: All right, I am walking out of Disney World I've been here almost 10 hours. Luckily, I'm still standing, and I'm going to head home. Going to the parking lot, Ticket Transportation Center. Hello, welcome aboard. You might want to take him off your shoulders. Please take him off your shoulders. Welcome aboard. Take your time as you cross the red gate.
4: All right, so talk to me about your day.
0: All right, so, oh man, after a long day, I called my friend and co producer on this episode, Pellen Keskin, to rehash yeah. my adventure. I did see some bounders though. And the one that really stood out to me is probably, I'm wondering if, like, some of them are, like, too subtle for me to get.
4: Mm, Yeah, that is possible. I've seen some on the internet where I was just like, I would have no idea that you're meant to be Minnie Mouse right now, but sure.
0: We talked a lot about Disney World fandom and my struggles to understand it, but how that was okay because ultimately what matters is how the community feels.
4: I get why, you know, you basically spend all year or all month or like, you know, if you're a seasoned holder, pass holder, like that's your weekly treat. That's what you look forward to. And also there are other people just as excited as you who share your sense of excitement and make you feel like you're not alone. It's that it's, I think that's kind of what makes people feel a little bit, I don't know, less alone in this world. And I get that. Yeah. And it also,
0: I think, it pulls you back into this time where everything felt a little bit more like warm and fuzzy and exciting and and safe there's there's so much nostalgia you know you're walking through yeah it's all it's all these characters and images you know from your childhood and they're they're i think they're pretty good at probably pulling you back to that and like there's a lot of that woven in and yeah i guess i guess for me it's like while i did not understand there's a lot of things about disney world and disney like fandom that i don't uh i just don't understand this place and i don't understand the fandom yeah but i guess that's like that's okay and it's it's I don't. I don't necessarily need to. It's fine that they're doing what they're doing. Like these people aren't. They're not hurting anyone, and they're into this thing. And there's plenty of things that I'm into yeah. that they're they might not be into, and other people aren't. And and that's like that's okay, right? It's like exactly.
4: No one can judge how people cope or how people decide to spend their free time or what they love, like what they love doing. We. I mean, I think the thing that you said about nostalgia is really important because you know, in, in all like, especially like on Instagram psychologists or whatever, we all talk about the inner child and trying to, you know, make sure that we're looking after our inner child and, and, and healing that person. Um, the little kid that we used to be, this is a form of that. Basically you're, you're essentially reaching back into who you used to be and comforting that person as a grown adult, which I think uh, it is something that, I don't know if the fans know that they're doing. I'm sure some do, but I think that's a part of it. And I think that's also healthy, all things considered. I think the main question that we need to be wondering is like, (laughs) Disney definitely knows that as a company. They know what they're doing. They completely understand that they're capitalizing off of that. Um, They built that world in order for it to be capitalized literally for that reason. They are making it for kids and then they are churning out nostalgia over and over again whether it's through theme parks whether it's through IP whether it's through rebooting series on TV and then streaming it they know what they're doing man and there's honestly like I kind of respect the hustle just in in like you know that the horror show that is late stage capitalism I get it I completely get it this is a very well oiled machine and I think the fans trust that if there's one thing that I think Americans especially respect is to someone that really knows how to do their job. And Disney has known how to do their job since literally they first started. So it's tried and true.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. This is Disney World Magic Kingdom. All right. That is the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can do me a huge favor by rating it five stars and sharing it with a couple friends you think might enjoy it. Quick bit of business. We are taking the next two weeks off for the holidays. So if you missed a couple episodes, you got plenty of time to catch up and we will be back in two weeks. I want to thank my guests, Bethany and Carly, who are both brilliant. Carly, you are so helpful. And if you want to hear more from her, she has her very own podcast about, you guessed it, theme parks. It's called Very Amusing, and it is tagged in the show notes. Thanks again to Acast and Lightbox Jewelry. And yo, shout out to The Washington Post, who included us in a recent article about travel podcasts. That's pretty cool. I want to give a big-ass thanks to my co-pilot and co-producer on this episode, Helen Keskin. She was with me every step of the way. You heard her at the end of the episode. And she also has her own podcast. It's called Criticism is Dead. It's about TV and film. And you can check for that. It's in the show notes as well. This episode was mixed, mastered, and sound designed by my man, Daniel Turek. Original music and scoring by, uh, I'm just going to call him Anon from now on. How about that? Anon? Consistently dope-ass original art by Alicia Tenoyan. She is absolutely killing it this season. Legal by Sam the Artichoke King Alcabez. And if you want to ask me a question or tell me a road trip story, I've already gotten a few great ones. You can leave me a voicemail. That number is in the show notes. Please, I would actually love to hear from you guys. So call in and leave a voicemail. It might appear on a later episode. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the new year. Safe travels.